Um, more of a UK focus. I think some of this very much applies to other countries too. I have spent time in Australia. I've spent time in the Gulf, um, in China, and actually we are facing lots of similar challenges in this space. And you know, student success is is also a, a kind of an emerging term used even more so in in Australia now in terms of positions and job titles. Obviously, it's big in the US as well. So there is an international dimension to this very much as well. And I'm interested in, very interested, as some would say, obsessed with language and actually how we speak about this thing, definitions, and that did come up this morning. How, what, what are we defining? What, what, are, what are we talking about? So definitions, language. I'm also interested in scalable institutional approaches. And for me, there's a gap in the research there that we have a bunch of literature which defines the conceptual conceptualization of employability. And there's a bunch of literature which defines how it's done in practice but in a business school or in a medical school or in sports subjects. And actually, where's the research which talks about institutional-wide approaches? And obviously, the TEF, the metrics, I'll, I'll skip on, bring these into the much kind of, put these in the spotlight. The metrics were there before TEF came along. So whilst TEF isn't just the big bad wolf, we had these metrics which we were all being influenced by before. So this is trying to shape, again, just a background. You'll all be familiar with this, but where some of this thinking comes from. So multiple metrics across multiple areas. And I suppose the way I presented it there as well is, I suppose, slightly ironic in terms of part of my work, I think, is about, is kind of trying to argue the fact that often we, we create silos and we separate things out. And, we, and I think we need to be looking at smarter, with finite resources in institutions, going back to that institutional level approach, how do we get scalable solutions to employability, student success? And I'll talk about the overlap there already. So obviously subject level TEF is again putting an even sharper spotlight on these metrics around retention, employment and student experience, student satisfaction often um, connected with, the, with assessment and feedback particularly. And obviously um, what interests me and slightly depresses me as well is about how the media has a direct influence on, on education now <coughs> through the league tables and the pressures that create. And we were talking a bit earlier about reputation and what that meant when I went to university which it was a long time ago. I keep pretending it doesn't feel like that long ago. You know, the, where were the league tables? They weren't around. So this, this obsession with numbers and metrics is, 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 is quite a challenge for us. I mean, we need to be thinking about other things too. I think that go beyond the metrics and that's partly what I'll argue today. So this is why we're all interested, why we're all here, why we're in this space. And I wanted to share some of this work from my, some of my, um, <coughs> taken out of my lit review, which was done a long time ago. Some of it's dated. But it's deliberately still in there because, for me, it's still the case today that actually, what is it we're talking about? It's a puzzle. I think the previous speaker, you spoke about it being a kind of contested, kind of ill-defined term, etc. It's been defined many times, just differently by different people, and that possibly is part of the challenge, is we can't agree on a, a single definition, although some are more prevalent than others. But we know from the research that it isn't being well-defined, and if I ask you all to write it down in the room now, what would you write down? And I'm sure we'd have a, quite a bit of variation across it. So in which case, what are we telling the <coughs> students? So what are we telling the students in employability is? Where is it defined to the students? If we want to create lifelong learners, surely we have to be giving them some idea about the kinds of areas that are important. And how that's often um, articulated is in this, using the umbrella term of skills. And everything is just thrown under that umbrella term of skills. And I think that's also an, an issue we need to kind of, kind of tackle. Um, if we want to develop technical skills, let's bring employers in and embed technical skills for engineering, where there might be a shortage of people with technical skills. 
if we're talking about generic skills, let's run sessions on communication, teamwork and leadership. But if it's about behaviour, attitude and other kinds of dispositions, resilience, creativity, emotional intelligence, we need to do something different. So let's be more precise and, all, and also with our research focused colleagues, are they going to welcome a conversation about skills in the job? I'm not sure they're always going to welcome those conversations. So let's, if we just through our language, we have the ability to either engage or disengage people. And so it's, it's marketing in a way. Why don't we wrap this up in a slightly different way so we've got a chance of engaging all staff, getting that scale I spoke about before. How do we engage all staff in this, in this, um, in this activity? Because obviously there's no career service in the country that's big enough to really go head to head and, and, and serve the needs of every single student. You've got 20, 30 monarchs, is it 70,000 students? I mean, how do you service that many people? So it's about getting this to become a shared agenda. And I think for me, language is absolutely key. You have the opportunity to either switch people off or to, to take them with you. And, and, and so this goes back to researchers dating back 20 years ago. And that's very much about the work that you're going to see me talk about in a moment is the first part of this is, what is it? Let's define it first. So there you go, I knew what was coming. So it has been defined many times. There are definitions out there. And, and again, and I'm putting it out there slightly as a bit of a challenge to all of you. Is I'm not sure I've seen any institutional approach that's informed by one, two, or three, or multiples of those models. So we're academics, and we're yet, we're, are we using the research to inform our institutional level practice? Yes, in departments, at program level, there will be examples. I get it, I'm not saying that. And I'm not saying that one model should inform a whole institutional approach at all, but are we at least taking account of the literature that's already been published and out there? Careers education, really good at using careers-based research. Uh, enterprise, again, you, you, really good at using their research to inform their practice. But what about from an employability perspective? And I'm not sure I've seen great evidence of that in all the work that I've done, both being, being based in institutions being, and travelling around the world and talking to people. I'm not sure I see the evidence for that. And so there are models, and I just want to go back to my skills, Victor Meldrew, Moni hat on about why do we keep saying skills? <coughs> One particular model, Career Edge model, by, I don't know if you're familiar with that, by Baker, Paul and Saul, been around again for 11 years, was designed specifically to be something that articulate what employability meant for students, to parents, to academics, and get this message across. Skills is one part, and, they, and their model suggests you need all of this to be effective and address your employability. So are we really surprised that employers may still be saying graduates are lacking in this area and this area? I'm not surprised because all we talk about is this and placements and experience and actually there's other bits I'm exaggerating to be devil's advocate slightly. But through my own PhD research I've asked students what it means to them and I've asked their, start, their tutors what it means to them and there is a symmetry in what they're saying and it is really narrow. It's around getting experience, um, gaining badges, and developing some skills and it doesn't really go much beyond that until you really unpack and ask more questions. So are we using the, the, the literature? I think that's something just for us to reflect on and think about. So this is where the, the what was the HEA embedding employability framework came from in 2012. So I came up with this concept in 2012 where everyone was arguing how do we measure the impact of, uh, of employability. So all those years ago, how do we measure it? And I was saying, well, you haven't even agreed what it is. So what are you measuring? How can you measure something if you don't know what it, if you don't, haven't defined it in some sense? So this was based, this framework was originally based just on these four stages around the outside. So I call these principles or a methodology or a process. 
and they're generic. They could be applied to any single subject. So my view is, based on the research slide I just showed you, which says when it's ill-defined, it's misunderstood, define it first. That's the first stage. What is it we're working towards? And I'm talking a bit about constructive alignment later. And so it's that, what, are we, what's, what is it we're aiming to work towards? And I think that should happen at the program level, where it's, con it's contextualized. And in terms of staff engagement, because this is the research to practice bit, how do you bring staff with you? The one-size-fits-all top-down approach is always going to be challenging. So why not allow them to, do, to define it? What you're saying is you need to define it. You can't just do lots of good stuff. You need to define it and look at the literature in relation to your definition, and, but also define it in partnership with other stakeholders. Students, so you've got the student voice in from the outset, and employers, student union, career service, bring those <coughs> stakeholders together and define it from the outset. So you know what you're working towards. It's learning outcomes, right? You write a module, where do you start? You start with some learning outcomes. It's constructive alignment. So stage one is really about. And then that creates, if you like, your own bespoke recipe for your program that is all about then making that, all the good stuff that's often implicit, making it explicit. So it links into marketing, it links into all kinds of areas across the institution. And this, these 10 areas of focus are just, they're informed by the models I just showed you. So they're like, a, a, if you like, a, yeah, particularly Career Edge and USEM. So they're meant to be a start. Here's a starter for 10. It's flexible. You don't have to do all these 10, but let's stretch the discourse beyond skills and job, and let's think about self, so, social and cultural awareness, enterprise entrepreneurship. Let's think about reflection, resilience. Let's think about these other kinds of qualities we want people to, to develop. And then we really are kind of we're informing these lifelong learners of what it is they need to be taking on board for the rest of their lives. Me too, I've just been speaking about that. This applies to us, ourselves as well individually, it doesn't matter what age you are. So you create your bespoke 8, 10, 12 things from the start, you use that as your mapping tool, celebrate the good things you're already doing, and some programmes might be doing it already, but it allows you to identify the gaps, and where are your gaps? Stage three is about sharing best practice more effectively across an institution. And that may well provide solutions to where some of these gaps are. So it's social work, nursing, education, they, they assess competencies. They look at, they, they have things like 360 feedback. They have mentors and with it, you know, written into the assessment and the curriculum design process. And then stage four is about measuring impact. How do we know what the distance traveled is in each of these areas? It's a learning game. I, kind of prefer learning gains. So where are the gains across all these different aspects of learning? And this is essentially all about learning. This is a tool for curriculum design and extracurricular planning to align and both specify the, the range of learning that happens across a student's life, no matter what their age. So this is something that we've been working on for a number of years, and I've, that's been embedded across two institutions where I've worked directly um, across all programs. So at Northumbria, working with the academic registry, we embedded it in the curriculum design process. So I was one person, and we've had this conversation about resource, one person embedding it in the curriculum design process so it impacted across every program. And so when they got to the curriculum design process, they had to do a section on research-rich learning, on technology-enhanced learning, and then when we got to the employability section, it said, work through these four stages. You shape it, you own it, but these are the stages. And that way we had 200-plus programs going through a a process where you're then able to identify well 60 programs all said self-confidence was an issue how do you develop so then you're able to target resources based on this singular approach and consistency is one of the main challenges that institutions face particularly think about the metrics 
Every university in the country has got fantastic practice, very good, good, average, and some practice that needs to improve. So how do we address consistency in all the work that we're doing? So this ties into assessment, curriculum design. For me, it's all about learning and teaching. Career services, all in the business of learning and teaching. Not often recognised in that way, but that's how I believe that, how they contribute. So what, as I've been reading around my research, my PhD, and my new job that then I was given the title of Head of Student Success in October, is right, how do we tackle this student success thing? And student success is traditionally associated with the retention and attainment agenda more so. Um, and there was, I don't know how many of you saw this piece of this publication that came out last year, What Works? It was um, supporting student success strategies for institutional change um, that the HA were involved with, the Paul Hamlin Foundation and other stakeholders. And so actually I, read, I read the exact summary of this, 40-odd pages, and as I was reading it through, I was, there were so many principles and recommendations, and I was thinking, yeah, I agree, really good, I really like it. So much so that I could have lifted the words retention attainment out of the text, put in employability, and it still worked. Yet employability wasn't mentioned once in the whole document. So it was just like, are we missing a trick here? Like, if we're doing these activities anyway, why aren't we recognising the multiple benefits and, and, and impact that we're having? So that start, kind of started me thinking about more integrated approaches, and actually how I feel very comfortable using the term student success and employability interchangeably. I think actually student success might be more of a rallying call and, and able to bring people together at an institutional level than possibly employability might be. And people have argued about that we need a better word for, I'm not saying it's better, but I think very few people would argue that in an institution they're not there to support student success. I think most people would agree that's something that, we can all, that we're all working towards. So there's some synergies, employability in the student success world. Then this was a diagram, a picture of, sorry, that I stole from Norman Jackson, where when he was the director of um, Centre of Excellence for Learning and Teaching. So it's around learning and teaching and pedagogy. And they were asked, what, what, what's your role as a Centre of Excellence for Learning and Teaching? And this is something that they drew, that it was about supporting students learning for a complex world. And when this isn't new, but what really resonated with me, and I don't know that you can see it over here, but the word, some of the words, going back to language again in my obsession with language, values, beliefs, morals, ethics. Where's the, where's the values gap being talked about? Where's the behaviour gap being talked about? We just talk about skills gaps. There's other things, there's a whole plethora of aspects of an individual that contribute and support kind of students being successful. So just really... It's not me. Is it, it is, oh goodness, it is me. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> so, student success, employability, learning and teaching. Different realms of research and work where we start to see some similarities. Hopefully you're starting to see some of the similarities and the synergies. And if we flip back to the previous What Works document, they were also talking about focusing on the human side of higher education, on developing that self-confidence and those other aspects that actually we talk about from an employability perspective too. So, like I said, no university has infinite resources. We've got limited staff, so how, why are we separating people like you do employability? I'm not sure who does retention, all of us. But, you know, I think there's an opportunity to look at actions that we're already taking and how they, they kind of cross over and support. So I was down at University of Wales, <coughs> Trinity St David recently, and they have a really strong focus on enterprise. How many staff have they got on enterprise? About 30. How many staff they got on the careers team? Five. But actually what the enterprise people were doing was very much kind of career guidance, career support. They were doing a similar role under a different title. So again, it's just recognising how sometimes we're 
I think missing a trick. Are we prepared to make most of these synergies and develop smarter approaches at an institutional level? And that's where these frameworks come in. So the HEA developed, now advanced HE, developed this framework series, um, 2016. And so we were saying that as someone that was previously involved in employability, working at an institutional level, saying, I also have a role to support student success. It's not just my colleagues in retention and attainment. And so we developed frameworks in each of these six areas. And, and we're saying collectively that all of these factors contribute to student success. There will be others. We're not saying that's perfect. It's a starting point. But it's no coincidence that these align with the TEF metrics and the, and the strategic priorities of virtually every institution in, in the world, nearly. So each of these frameworks is informed by research, is, is, is co-created with the sector and informed by best practice. So it's not things that we've just sat in the office in York and written on our own. And so again, it's about how do we then translate that to practice. There's a lot in each of these ones. So it's how do we translate that into practice. And I believe they're really useful and I describe them as kind of conceptual lenses. So imagine a program team of eight people or six people sat around that if each of them adopted a particular lens that they were tackling the curriculum design process, all of a sudden you're tackling student success in an integrated way. Um, and you're tackling multiple strategic priorities at the same time, rather than separating them out. So based on that, it was, and, and my new role, uh, Advanced HE, was, right, how do we take all of this and translate it into something that might be practical? And this is conceptual, we haven't done it yet, but I am working with one institution at the moment who really likes these principles, so it's not just me, someone else has bought into it. Um, and so I think, and, and again, I'd be interested in on your views. So the basically three stages to this approach that I'm suggesting that um, could be beneficial and helpful. So the first principle to consider around this student success, employability, this more integrated approach, is around that of constructive alignment. And are you all familiar with constructive alignment? Some nods. So I'm not saying that letter of the law, follow it really rigidly and restrictively, and that's some of the criticisms of constructive alignment, is it's too rigid, it's too restrictive. So I'm suggesting that maybe, what it, what it says is, you start with the, with the learning outcomes at the beginning, what you want to develop, and then you work backwards and you think about the, the learning and teaching activities and the assessments that will help you develop those learning outcomes. So starting with that first. And often when you think about employability and you have any conversation around employability, what you're doing, they don't talk about outcomes, they talk about activity. The career service come in, we do placements. We don't think that our frame of reference, we're not thinking about what does that develop. It's that question I ask, it's like asking an 11 year old son. So rather than saying, what do you want to be when you, what do you want to do when you grow up? Who do you want to be when you grow up? It's a subtle difference, but it's thinking about the kind of person, the people that we want to develop, who will be able to transition across jobs. We've already heard it this morning, a job's not for life. So how do we develop people that can trans transition across? So constructive alignment just puts <coughs> that sharp and focus up the front. Program level, what is it we're trying to achieve? Then looking at how that's dispersed and mapped across the modules, and then weaving it through the activity. So that's the first principle I'm suggesting could be helpful. The second one is around life-wide learning. How many of you have heard of life-wide learning? Okay, some nods, but that's good, because it it's not new, but again, I hadn't and we're slightly embarrassed it's been around for a while. So lifelong learning, that's been mentioned today. Life-wide learning, just the horizontal axis of actually looking at learning that's already happening across multiple spaces in a student's life. But at which, so it's, it's work that's already going on. It's activity that's already going on. It's no, nothing extra needed. So it's about how do you capture that? So I've stolen this slide again from Norman Jackson. 
how do we capture that and bring the learning that can happen across these spaces together with the formal learning? It's the extracurricular curriculum piece. It's just there's a learning and teaching principle, if you like, that's been written around this. And I think through reflective practice, we can bring the outside learning in and help students understand how all of this joins up and articulate it in such a way that's going to be a benefit to them in their future, securing that first job. Not just that first job, but those other jobs too. And we talked, we were having conversations in the breaks about, you know, space for activity and academics being nervous about taking things out of the curriculum. Here's something that immediately tackles that nervousness and that potential resistance to engage, is we're not telling you to strip out all your academic content. We're saying help students understand the value of volunteering, sport, societies, part-time work, family, friends, relationships, full-time work even. Help them understand the learning that happens across all those spaces. And, we're, and let's face it, reflection is something that a lot of, particularly the younger students, is something they need support with and, and recognising the value of that. So that's the second one. The third area, so what I've done here is, the third, so I call these cross-thematic focus areas of student success. These are activities that are already happening, so that, and it's not rocket science, but these have been extracted from the, across the framework series, and each of these, I would argue, impacts on multiple metrics. So for in terms of TEF, in terms of retention and attainment, in terms of the student experience, particularly around assessment, in terms of employment and employability, each of these activities would actually, we could say, well, they touch on all of the, they touch on all of those strategic priorities. So these are things already happening. So, but also I'm saying, at a program level, if you sat down and mapped your activities and the activities you know the students can access outside of your activities, where's the balance of activities across those seven? Is there learning happening in all of those areas? So I think it's just a simple benchmarking tool. It could be a simple benchmarking tool when you get down to that, right, what we actually do, we've just said what we want to achieve, we need to think about how we're doing it. Is it through placement? Is it through <coughs> simulations? Is it through live projects? Is it through this broader work-related learning umbrella? Or, you know, thinking about the balance of activity. So I, I'm suggesting that those three stages of activity could, would not only address employability, but would also be helping us address student success more broadly, which is also a, a, a key priority too. So, in summary, if you, I haven't got conclusions, points of reflection, I hope that's acceptable. So questions and things to take away. So thinking about the language we use, and I would argue that the language in this space has, is that me again? Yeah. Has, I hope it's not an emergency. Has become habitual. So I think people who say employability skills don't believe it's employability skills. I think they've just got used to saying that because that's what the government says and that's what media says. I think actually they do realise it's about behaviour, attitude, values and other things too. Does it say home? Sorry, sorry everybody. No, I'm nearly finished anyway. Um, so language, really important. Are we, are we bringing stakeholders together to, to talk about that? So what's our, what we're currently using as our point of reference for ongoing development across these multiple strategic priorities? Are we using the research to inform our practice? Are we doing enough to spot the synergies? And TEF, I think, presents an example for us to really step back and look at this. And are there smarter ways of working? How do these areas align within our own institutions? Are they under different PVCs? Are they in different areas? Are they all together? You know, it was interesting, you know, I was at a conference this week, people are, some people are un under research and business engagement, some people are on education. It's interesting thinking about where people are positioned internally. Who leads the work? Have you got the resources? It, this approach requires top-level support. It doesn't work without that top-level support and sponsorship. 
and there's some references to say I am a kind of academic. So as I'm here, that's it. Thank you very much. Thank you.